So today's reading is Psalm 8, which is on page 546 of the Church Bibles. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honour. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Welcome to the beautiful parish church of St. Ethelberger without the cupboard in the charming village of Little Piddling. Let me introduce you to some of the parishioners. Harmony Mungbean, who's going to appear, is a young woman who is, leading, who is a leading light of the Little Piddling Action on the Environment group. In winter, she puts on a jumper and turns down the heating. If it gets colder, she puts her thermals on and she refills all her plastic bottles from the local eco shop. Connie Fitzbinder is an older woman who is generally a little confused about most things. Modern life is largely passing her by. Her teenage neighbour has to help her use her new smart TV and she regularly gets a note to say she's put the wrong things in the wrong bins. Basil Steele is a stalwart of St Ethelberger's Church Council. He is a prayer, a listener and a doer. And today is a very special day in the life of St Ethelberger's. After several years of hard work, the church has been granted a Silver Eco Church Award. Harmony Mungbean helped them make good choices about which products to use around the church. And she led an afternoon making bug hotels for the churchyard. Basil Steele heads up eco-issues on the church council and he was feeding through lots of ideas for the church social media. Connie Fitzbinder once spent two hours trying to reset the heating at church before she realised they'd upgraded their boiler to a more efficient model. The vicar, Reverend Arthur Brain, is beginning a series to mark the season of creation tide. It rolls round in September. That's a serving suggestion rather than a requirement in the Church of England. He's had the rather clever wheeze of combining our, church, our culture's fundamental values of tackling climate change and taking care of our environment with the fundamental ideas of Christian faith found in the book of Psalms. Psalms is the Bible's longest book. It is the Bible's hymn book. It explores the heart of God and humanity through poetry that is often unforgettable. Concern about our planet is absolutely fundamental to our culture. If you talk to enough people, and particularly to those under 40, you will find deep-seated, strong convictions that our world must tackle climate change and care better 
for our natural environment. Now, our starting point, Arthur says, for this series is Psalm 8. It's going to help you if you've got that open in front of you in the Magenta Bibles in the seats ahead of you. We are going to think about two things, letting God be God and you doing you. So let's let God be God first. And really, this is the first four verses of the psalm. Let's just start. Psalms, I like to start with the bit before verse 1. Because that in the little bit in italics in your Bible is called a superscription, and that is actually verse one in the Hebrew Bible. We often ignore them; they often don't get read. Uh, we sort of we go past them, but they're significant when they're there. Psalm eight is for the director of music, so it's designed to be sung. It is according to Gittith. That might be a musical term, but who knows? And it is a psalm of David, which means it was either written for David or by David. So it was designed to be sung. And when you read it, I bet you thought of a load of hymns. If you're churchy enough, you'll have thought of a load of different songs. Verse 1, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Letting God be God means recognising that he rules over the whole earth. His glory is above the heavens. Verse 2, from the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Now, says Arthur, from the front, those of you who are at our toddler praise service this week will know that children can be noisy. He's mainly thinking about three-year-old Crispin Dry, who banged his little drum so loudly and for so long that Arthur had to spend the rest of the day lying down in a darkened room with a damp flannel over his face. It's that noise which drowns out God's enemies, says Arthur triumphantly. Or, as he said to Mrs. Brain that evening, Beelzebub and all the demons in hell will have trouble getting Crispin away from that drum. It's almost as bad as when Tiggy Price discovered the fish-shaped tambourine. We won't talk about that. It was a very painful time for Arthur. Verse 3. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? Now, the universe is big. I am not an astrophysicist. But if our solar system was a 10p piece, like that, the nearest star to our sun and planets, which is Proxima Centauri, would be another 10p piece, and it would be two football fields away. That's just the nearest star. How many stars are there? Nobody knows. Trillions, it's thought. And many of them, particularly in this part of the universe, are just that same distance away from each other. You can listen to me bang on about it, or you can watch Brian Cox talk about it. In a few minutes, he'll tell you how big the universe is, and it blows your mind. What did God use to make this enormous universe? Verse 3, his fingers. David has used that word very deliberately, not his huge arms or his hands. His little pinky finger made the whole thing, and yet God is so vast and so powerful he is mindful of human beings that is an awesome thought that the 
creator of the universe, the maker of absolutely everything, knows you. He cares for you. So then, let God be God. The one who made the universe has your back. The one who made the universe with his fingers has counted the hairs on your head. He had a harder job with some of you than with others of us. It's so easy to want to keep control of your own life and not to let God be God. I wonder what things God is just prompting you to hand over to him today. Those things where you've done everything you can and there is no point trying to control it all. Or the people you're praying for, hand it over to God. Let God be God and wait on him. So, that's Arthur's first point, let God be God. He launches in on his second, you do you. This is really the second half of our psalm. About humanity, David writes, verse 5, you made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honour. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. That is an exhaustive list in the poetry. That means humanity has been given authority over all living things. We have responsibility for all of it together. That means taking care of it. That means doing your best to understand the science and cutting through the way our media tries to oversimplify everything. Now again, I'm not a scientist, but the way I understand science, science gives you hypotheses which can be tested. And then when there's solid evidence for those hypotheses, they become established facts. If new facts come to light, the science changes. No serious climate scientist disputes that man-made climate change is happening. No serious biologist denies that a mass extinction event of wildlife is happening. But science and scientists are also honest about what they don't know and what the limitations are. And when it comes to the future and what's going to happen, on these issues an awful lot comes down to computer modelling. And we know from the COVID epidemic, computer modelling is not reliable. It sometimes gets it right and sometimes not. That's because it's a computer model. We don't know how our planet will respond if we reduce our carbon emissions to net zero. It hasn't been done. We only have hypotheses. We've only got computer models. We don't know how quickly our world will warm up. It is happening. Sometimes, in some places, it's happening more quickly than people thought, and sometimes more slowly. Computer models are saying all sorts of different things. It's so complex that we don't know. So then, our responsibility as human beings, as the kings, if you like, that God has put in charge of our world, is to do the best with what we do know. For example, we know it's bad to put sewage into our rivers and into the sea. 
We know it's bad to clear ancient forests to make space for mining or development. We know it's good to invest money in renewable energy. Yes, thinks Harmony Mungbean from the congregation. This week, she learned that 8% of the UK's carbon emissions come from wasted food. So if you're sitting there thinking, oh, nothing I can do about any of this, well, all of us together could save 8% of the UK's carbon emissions if we waste less food. And as Christians, we bring our values of justice and community to all of this. There's so much we could say here. Britain industrialised in the 1800s, the early 1800s. It is unfair to expect countries who are only just developing now to foot the bill for climate change all by themselves when our country and our prosperity has been built on 200 plus years of profits from industrialization. That's just a fairness issue. It won't work if each of us just does the best we can to sort this out on our own. It takes governments to work together so that we all pull in the same direction. In fact, it takes every organization to work to do their bit. And as God's people, the church can lead the way. We lobby for change, but also we are the change that we want to see. We put our money where our mouth is. The Church of England has been disinvesting millions of pounds from its pension funds from polluting industries. It's been using its shareholder rights to make changes in those companies as well. And even at ground level, we can encourage each other and help each other to make good choices. That is what community is about. Indeed, thinks Basil Steele, whose current project is getting photovoltaic panels installed in church. Try saying that with your teeth in. He's learned so much that he's actually got several fellow parishioners getting involved and doing it as well. Indeed, thinks Connie Fitzbinder for lunch today, she is having soup made from all her leftover vegetables, which were in danger of being thrown out. She's doing that because Harmony Mungbean went round to Connie's. She's actually going round every Tuesday morning to help her waste less food. And actually, the two of them would have thought they have nothing in common. They've become really firm friends. It's what church can do. So you do you, says Arthur. Take responsibility for yourself, for your life, for your choices, what you've done in the past and how you're building your future. Of course, this isn't just confined to eco-issues. This is about everything, isn't it? Take responsibility for yourself and look to your future and don't be a prisoner of your past. Just as you recognise what is God's responsibility and don't try to do it all, do what is yours to do humbly and prayerfully. You are not a passive victim of life. You are God's leader with choices. Just say that to the person next to you. You are God's leader with choices. Very good. Don't have a chat. Remember our example is Jesus the one whose stories were soaked in the world around him, the flowers, the birds, farming, the one who healed people, free of charge for nothing, requiring nothing of them, but then 
told them to go away and not sin so that they took responsibility for themselves. The one who went to the cross died and rose again to give you hope and a future. And this is important when we think about climate change and environment. Christians deny any future without hope. But few too many negatives in there. Christians affirm there is always hope and a future. There is a particular negativism which often goes alongside concern about climate change. We've been reading headlines that we've got five years to save the world since the 1980s. You can trace them back online. That's at least 40 years ago when we had five years to save the world. Young people are so stressed by this and so worried that they are deciding not to have children because they are so worried about the future that they will be born into. Friends, human beings have not ruined our world. Fewer people live in poverty worldwide than at any time in history, and that is because of progress in so many areas. Fewer people die violent deaths worldwide than at any time in history. We don't hear these figures because our news is built on the principle that if it bleeds, it leads. It's, we only hear the bad news. There is good news in our world too. There is hope and a future. Arthur Brain stands proudly next to their silver eco-church plaque in that week's local paper. It's just, uh, if you want to know where ours is at St Mary of Bethany, it's just outside the front door. You can have your picture taken if you would like. He reflects on Psalm 8, which ends just as it began. Verse 9. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. It is a call to worship where we let God be God. It is a call to dominion, to take responsibility so that you do you. Let's pray. And just in a moment of quiet, let God minister to your heart by his Holy Spirit and work into your life what he's saying to you this morning. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. May those words be written through us. May they be words that we live in our worship of you as we let you be you. 
in our responsibility for the world you've given us, where we have choices. Give us wisdom and keep us close to you, we pray in Jesus' name.